So at this point in the course, we always take a moment to congratulate you for still being here. Because <laughs> it's not so easy. Not as easy as it perhaps sounded <laughs> when we signed up. Oh, yes, great retreat. The last one was fabulous. Well, the last half a day was fabulous. That's all I remember. <laughs> I don't remember the grind of the first day or the sleepiness and the restlessness and the agitation and the busy mind and the doubting and the wandering and the boredom and, um, you know, interspersed with moments of joy and peace and happiness and appreciation and gratitude. But it's not, you know, this is why it's called practice, because we come and we give ourselves to this culture of awareness, of mindfulness, which, you know, if you just look at the instructions, it's pretty simple, right? It's pretty straightforward. Pay attention, focus, notice your breath, be mindful when you walk and eat and move and do everything else in between with some awareness. And, and yet somehow, uh, how many people had a fabulously easy day today? Or a huge glut of hands. <laughs> How many people had a challenging day today for one reason or another, yourself or others or otherwise? Okay, yeah. So it's interesting, right? What's, you know, there's a simple form of sitting, walking, and not too taxing from a certain perspective. And yet, you know, this is not an uncommon experience. The first day or sometimes two days are challenging. You know, we have to face ourselves, we have to be with ourselves, we have to feel all the habits, energies that we usually just are moving with, busyness, caffeinated, device, thumb tweeting, you know, things that we do. And we're, we're very externally oriented and stimulated, so we don't really have, have to pay attention to what's going on here unless it's strong, like strong pain or strong emotion or our mind's getting a little wayward. And, and then you come here, and aside from the beauty and you know, some occasional f- nice food, there's not a lot going on between you and your thoughts. And you know, it's not something we cultivate as a culture anymore. I'm not sure if we ever did, but uh, some cultures and some, you know, some eras more than others. You know, I think if we were living a simple agrarian Life, it would, would be more in our bodies, be more simpler mind states, probably. But that's not how we're living. We're living in a complex, often mental world. And so our minds are really strong. Where we spend a lot of years in school thinking and learning how to think, training our minds. And so that's what we notice is that's the most predominant thing, right? is our mind, is our thoughts, is our plans and our ideas and our fantasies and our memories and judgments and comparisons and all of that. Yeah. So, and as we purposely design it not to torture you, but to to really confront your existence, to confront your humanity, to confront who you are without those usual distractions. 
which might sound cruel. <laughs> please let us read books. Please let us play music. <laughs> I notice when I'm on retreat, I really miss music. It's just a, such a soulful thing that we, that we, we do. So here we are with these conditions, simple, stripped down, not very sexy, not very um, eventful, just life, you know. And the six senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking is a, is a sense in Buddhism. And then our relationship to all of that. What happens when we're sleepy for most of the day, or we're so restless we want to bolt out of the room, or we're so bored we're reading the shampoo bottle 15 times, or the notice board has suddenly become fascinating, you know, it's like Times Square, you know, billboards, and it's like, oh, it changed, there was a note, maybe it's for me. Oh, who's Joan? She's getting a lot of notes. How come she's getting notes? Not me. It's amazing what the mind does to entertain itself. So not to judge, just to, just to see where our, where our habit goes. You know, do we do we numb out? Do we try to find stimulation? Do we fantasize? Oh, it's boring. Let's create a sexual fantasy. That's interesting. Or well, let's create something else that's interesting. Maybe a work problem that I haven't fixed yet. So there's a beautiful quote from Achan Sumedho who says, be the knowing, not the conditions that are known. Be the knowing, be that which knows, be the one who knows, as Ajahn Chah used to say, his teacher. Be the knowing, not the conditions that are known. So mostly in our lives and mostly on retreat, especially the first day, we're consumed in the conditions that are known, right? We're sleepy, the sleepiness, and we're kind of lost in the mire of sleepiness. We're restless, and we're, we're the restless fly that's banging its head against the window. You know, we're bored, and we're the you know, school kid at the back of class who's fading out. You know, we're so so enmeshed with the conditions that are happening. There's not a lot of space between the knowing and that which is being known. So what I love and appreciate about Dharma teachings is they're challenging. They're not comforting. They're not here to make you feel nice. They're here to wake you up. They're here to free you. But they're not necessarily easy and what we want to hear. You know, they're basically saying, wake up, look, pay attention, look at your mind, look at your heart, look at where you're bound. What is interfering with your happiness? And what is a kind, wise, skillful response to that in the moment and in the big picture? 
And so often on the first day, we're so kind of, our mind's so claggy, so kind of glued to experience, there's not a lot of clarity or perspective to discern, right? We need, that word came up a few times today, discernment. We need a certain amount of discernment clarity in order to sort of navigate our world and our lives and our challenges. So you could say that the first day of retreat is a little bit of a metaphor for our life, (laughs) where we're kind of lost mostly in the soup of our life, in the busyness and the rushing around and the getting ahead and being somebody and trying to pay the rent and get noticed, get loved, or whatever our little predilection is, or all of the above (laughs) on a Monday morning. So the, the question is, you know, what is happening and what's our relationship to it? Can we be present enough to know who we are, what's happening, why it's happening, why we're not at peace? So calling to mind that reflection from that uh, teacher that I mentioned this morning or yesterday, you know, you know, have you been, you know, have you had a day of unbroken peace today at Spirit Rock? <laughs> if not, why not? You know, what got, what gets in the way? There's the innate clarity, peace of mind that the Buddha spoke to, and, and the obstacles that obscure it. So the the orientation of this retreat is that which isn't obscured, right? The sky is obscured temporarily, but it doesn't get obliterated. The sky gets covered like it did today with clouds, storms, mist, fog, night. But it's always present. So the title of the retreat, Natural Radiance, is a quality of mind, a quality of awareness. You might not be feeling very radiant. (laughs) I have to say, you don't look that radiant. (laughs) You might do by the end of the week. Mostly you look pretty tired, and that's okay. You know, it's okay to be tired. you You might notice it takes a lot of work to be present. It takes a lot of work to be mindful. It takes a lot of work to be aware. The easiest way to know how much effort it takes is try to meditate when you're sick. You know, when you're coldy and fluey and run down and exhausted and it feels almost impossible to try and practice. It just takes a lot of brain power. Brain effort. And I noticed that with my student who's dying. You know, that the, the exhaustion at the end of life. There's, it, it's, you know, she's in and out of consciousness because there's just not enough, not enough life force left. So it takes. You know, I was I was asking her to 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 pay attention to what we're doing today to notice the awareness that's holding her, holding the experience of this passing. Right? But that takes effort. It takes a lot of effort if we haven't trained in that. If we if we trained in it. It's, it's actually what we rest in. 
It actually becomes the fabric, becomes the backbone, it becomes the backdrop of, 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 of how we experience life. Because that's actually what's true. We just don't look at things in that way. <clears throat> it's a bit like um, we spend our life, you know, you know those, if you go to some, like, I don't know, the Eiffel Tower or some tourist destination and you have those um, big binoculars. What are they, are they called? Big binoculars? I don't know. Telescope, but they're like they, you know, they're like a telescope, but they're binoculars to it. And you put your twenty-five cents in, and you you, know, you look at the, whatever the whatever landmark is, the Statue of Liberty or something. And it's a bit like we spend our life like that. We spend our life looking through a, a pair of binoculars, right? Looking at the world, like oh, yeah, nice, and that's interesting, and oh, I want that, and. Um, and never looking at what's allowing us to do the looking. Right? It's a bit like if someone had a pair of binoculars, like, or in, maybe in 20 years' time when we all live with Google Glass and we don't actually realize that it's a pair of glasses, but we just sleep with you know, the computer pinned to our spectacles <laughs> or whatever the next thing is that we're entranced by. Um, it's as if, so, so the analogy is we don't look at that which is looking. Right? We don't look at, we don't realize that we're looking through a telescope or binoculars. Right? So what I want to emphasize on this retreat is to pay attention a little more to that which is doing the looking, to that which is noticing, to that which is aware, to that which is hearing the talk which is something we mostly don't pay attention to because it's invisible. And it's allowing us to know experience, so there's no reason why we would, we would reflect on well, what is allowing me to know, what is allowing me to hear, what is allowing me to see, what is allowing me to think. It's just, it's just part of our experience. It's like the fish trying to see seawater. You know, one fish asks the other, did you see the sea today? And they're like, what are you talking about? There's no, there's, it's, it's hard to step outside of the box that we're in. And the box that we're in is, we're actually, it's more like we're look, we have those, those goggles, you know, those glasses you get at the fun fair with the eyes popping out, you know, bouncing out on spring. Boing. <laughs> well, that's how we look. It's like our eyes are popping out, you know, oh, that's good, oh, that's a shiny thing, oh, that looks fun, that, the next thing, and the next job, the next person, the next experience, right? That's how we mostly moves through the world. And because of that, we don't ever rarely turn that lens around to see, well, what's, what's, who's, you know, who's behind, who's pulling the strings here? Who's, you know, who's behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz? Who's making this happen? What's making this happen? What allows it to be? So this is one of the things we'll explore in a retreat. So we haven't been doing much of that today, purposely. We've been purposely cultivating focused attention, which is another reason why maybe you're tired, another reason um, why it wasn't so easy today, because we're cultivating a habit of mind that's perhaps 
not being so cultivated in your day-to-day life. You know, if you're like me, you've got six screens going on in the computer, and there's a cell phone by the there over there, and there's you know there's just a lot going on, right? Multitasking. We live in what a sociologist called a state of constant partial attention. Our attention is mostly divided, and today we've been asking you to have one-pointed attention, which is not the habit of our consciousness for the most part. Which is why it's hard to rein it in. And I think computers just magnify that tendency. You know, in meditation, you're sitting with your breath and you have the thought, oh, what's for lunch? If you're at your desk and that thought comes up, what's for lunch? You can Google your favorite chicken, you know, Kiev recipe. And away you go, you know, buying a cookbook and ordering a new Le Creuset thing for your, you know, kitchen and... Right? And so it, 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 it actually accentuates that proliferating tendency of mind. So no wonder it's hard for us just to relax and stay steady. So for me, the, one of the things that's um, been most intriguing and most sustaining of my practice is the exploration of awareness. That which allows us to know. That mysterious thing that's not really still in any way being researched by neuroscience. All the the research that's being done on mindfulness and the brain and attention and various other aspects of um, study um, not even close to awareness. Like the idea, the, the, the subtlety of instruments that are required to understand what awareness is, we're just, we're just a long way away. And it's that which allows us to know. So how many people are curious about awareness? Let me see a show of hands. Anybody curious about awareness? Some of you, most of you. You don't have to be. You know, it might not be that interesting to some of you. It's Okay. But it has been interesting to me, and being on the Buddhist path, where a lot of different traditions have given a lot of emphasis to studying that, studying the mind, studying awareness, studying the relationship, studying different types of consciousness. There's a lot of different words, different terms, different Sanskrit words, different English words, and sometimes it gets a little confusing. But I like to mostly use the word awareness, which I think is simple and relatable. So for me, this has been mostly the object of my practice over the years in in meditation. I've been meditating about 30 years and probably for the last, I don't know, getting on for the last 20 of those years um, has been the subject of meditation. To abide in that which knows, to abide in the knowing rather than the conditions that are known, and and exploring what that is. What is the nature of awareness? Where does it live? How does it function? Where does it go? Does it come and go? Is it impermanent? Is it permanent? Is it personal? Is it universal? 
Is it present when you sleep? If it isn't, then when you wake up and you say to your partner, I had a good night's sleep, how do you know you had a good night's sleep if you weren't present for those eight hours? How is it present during dream life? We're asleep, but we're awake to our dreams. So we'll spend some time in the next few days exploring awareness in different facets. And we'll do a little practice tonight. So um, some of you have done this practice with me. It's my favorite practice. So we're going we're gonna to do a little short exercise. Don't need to change your posture. And the instruction is to not pay attention, to not be aware, to not be mindful, to not make any effort, to not notice anything, and see what happens. So we'll do this for a very long minute. And... You can have your eyes open or closed, it doesn't matter because you're not noticing anything. the bell for those of you not noticing that that was the anything. <laughs> so what did you notice? What did you observe in that practice of not noticing anything? Anybody like to say? It's impossible. <laughs> Why is it impossible? kept going on like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I closed my eyes and I noticed sound uh-huh. right away. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I opened my eyes and I saw your glass of water. <laughs> and then there was a timer. <laughs> it just went on. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else notice that? Yeah. It's impossible. It's impossible not to be aware unless you're dead. I mean, there's all these stories of people being in comas. You know, who are, you know wake up and they're tracking conversations and all kinds of things. You know, the brain, the brain waves may be registering zero activity, and yet there's some kind of knowing happens. So this is good news, right? This is good news. Since we're trying to be aware, right? This whole tradition, this whole practice is about being mindful, being aware, paying attention, noticing, right? And if you just if you get the instruction not to pay attention, not to be aware, don't do anything, and you are aware, then this is good news, right? If 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 awareness is 
the basis for mindfulness practice and we're cultivating mindfulness and awareness is always present, then what's our problem? (laughs) What's our problem? What is our problem? If it's impossible not to not be aware, It's a different kind of awareness. Uh-huh. So what kind, what's, what's the difference? Well, I, I got lost in thought in that brief minute. I was lost. You got I'm lost in sure thought. I was aware of uh-huh. I was lost. Well, some, you, something, some part of you knows that you were lost in thought. But that was when I came out of it. Okay, so when you came out of it, you were aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yes. Well, what about... Um, when you look around and you go from light to floor to you, to you I mean, you know, I was just sort of flashing with mm-hmm. things, and I thought um, um, the difference between looking at objects and kind of you wonder what's real here in the first place, and then I know it as a, a, a labeling. I, I started. Mm-hmm wonder about labeling mm-hmm. and and um, it, I don't know there's a lot I don't understand there's, yeah yeah <coughs> um, okay well you can hold I'll that <laughs> yeah yes. yeah so <coughs> so back to the good news so the good news is awareness is always aware of something right so that the important question is as you're alluding to in a way is what is that what are we paying attention to? What are we preferencing in our attention? Because we do preference. There is a volitional part to attention, uh, usually somewhat unconscious, but it's there. So, uh, yeah, so the important question is, if we're always aware, what are we aware of? What are we giving attention to? Right? And you alluded to that. Mostly what we give attention to, consciously or unconsciously, is our thoughts. We're mostly preferencing out of habit and training and education and whatnot. We're preferencing that attention to thought, much less attention to our body, much less attention to our emotional layers, to our energetic, to other layers of perception. So that's partly what mindfulness reveals. It reveals our habits of attention where we're present, where we're not, when we're present, when we're not. So, and this is always good news in the sense that even though it seems like bad news, (laughs) I can't believe how unmindful I am. I can't believe that, you know, I had thirds of that food they served and I didn't even notice the taste, you know, whatever. I walked into the wrong bedroom or, um, which I almost did today, because I've got my regular room and I'm in a different room and and we go on autopilot and, oh, that's not my stuff. (laughs) Who moved my stuff? So, so to be curious as you hear, 
where does your attention go? What do, what do you give preference to? So this lovely line from uh, Padmasambhava, who was a founder of Tibetan Buddhism, he said, if you want to know, if you want to understand the past, look to your present conditions. If you want to know the future, look to your present actions. Right? So we're living out the past through the present, through the consequences of that. Right? So, if, guess, so what have we done in our lives up to now? Well, we've thought a lot, we've gone after what we want, we try to get rid of what we don't like, and compared and judged a lot, probably. So guess what shows up when we're on retreat? <laughs> I want that, I don't want that, don't like them, and a person's too holy, and I'm not good enough. Right? So we see the habits that we've developed, which is good news, because then it's like, oh, well, that seems like a lot of suffering. That seems unnecessary. As one of my dear friends says, give up the, give up the what's the phrase? Give up the... Um, I don't know what the word he uses. Give up the torture of comparing. Like, has anybody done a lot of comparing with someone else and, and felt really happier? <laughs> like, does it really lead to well-being? No, but we do it a lot. Right? I'm better than, I'm worse than, I'm the same as. Right? It's endless dance of the mind, the ego. It's really painful. So, but it's without that awareness, without that awareness, no change is possible. Awareness is the change agent. It gives the possibility of uh, transformation by illuminating our habits and patterns and stuff. So these teachings on awareness, and particularly the, the teaching on awareness being the nature of our mind, the fabric of the, the mind, have not been that commonly accessible. And certainly in the, the later traditions that came out of uh, Buddhist, the early schools which Spirit Rock is part of, um, this teaching that awareness is the nature of your mind was considered a very... Um, esoteric and uh, valuable teaching that one had to basically um, earn your spiritual stripes to get access to that teaching. So it was considered a secret teaching in many schools and uh, was given only to very select students after a long, long, long 10, 20 years of training. And now, I I was teaching mindfulness to Procter and Gamble in Cincinnati, not the mecca of you know uh, awakening, but um, happening is happening everywhere. And I was reading the USA Today, and there was a piece on Eckhart Tolle's interview with Oprah Winfrey, and he's t- teaching you know the masses about freeing oneself from the ego and knowing the nature of your mind as awareness. And I'm like, wow, that's a di- that's not secret anymore. <laughs> That's put a lot of people out of business right there. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, the times have changed. You, know, you don't have to you know, climb up to a monastery up in the mountains in Tibet and study for 10 years with an esteemed lama and maybe receive that teaching. 
You can read USA Today. <laughs> so when I went to India, so I, um, and, and when I was first started practicing in England, I was with a Buddhist group for about seven years, and I consider it, um, uh, I, there's an expression, I can't think of the phrase, but I considered it a path school. There's Oh, sudden, that's right. There's, there's sudden versus gradual school. So there's, there's, there's two different ways of holding pat, Buddhist paths. And you have the sudden paths and you have the gradual paths. Right? And, and uh, certain, so most paths are gradual. You, know, you, you start with mindfulness and you sit and you walk and you practice and you cultivate metta and then you do it. It's a graduated path. And some paths like to hold, think of themselves as sudden, sudden paths where you have a sudden satori awakening, insight, illumination, and uh, like in, a, in the Zen session, a satori, and there's some awakening. Okay. Of course, it might take you 50 years to get to that sudden illumination, so you know, sudden and gradual is really somewhat relative. Mm-hmm. And it may take another 50 years to integrate it, so it's also relative. Um, <clears throat> The tortoise and the hare schools, really, you know, and each have their merits, and we have, you know, we draw really on elements of both and have predilections to both. So anyhow, so I was with this more path-oriented, uh, gradual uh, tradition, and then I went to India and I met my first Vipassana teacher, Christopher Titmus, who was very much into this sense of imminent awakening, that awakening is possible here and now, available right in front of your own eyes, closer than your own breath, you used to say. And I was startling to hear that, like, you know, I had this idea of, like, lifetimes and lifetimes of meditation and practice and study, and maybe, you know, in some future eon, might be some possibility of a little awakening. (laughs) And here's someone saying, no, it's available here and now. And it was very shattering to my worldview in a very healthy way. It was very dis- dis- disorienting, as, as, as good spiritual teachings can be. And he was sort of modeling that, that, that capacity to, to be free, to, to be awake, which is also part of the power of the tradition and, and the transmission being around someone who is embodying a quality like that. And then I went to study with another teacher very soon after meeting Christopher Punjaji, this guy called Punjaji, Indian, wonderful Indian teacher in Lucknow, and who was really living and embodying that quality of awakening in a very beautiful, realized, happy, joyful, celebratory way. Big, beautiful, big man and big laugh and, and would, would people would come and have dialogue and, and have these profound awakenings in his presence and in dialogue um, as can happen when, when you're in the presence of uh, an awakened teacher. And it was very uh, profound for me and illuminating and, um, uh, and he, it was, he's a powerful mirror to say, you know, why, are you, why are you looking outside of yourself? Where do you think it is except here, right in your own mind, in your own awareness? There used to be this thing called the Lucknow Mantra where people would go home, the people would be in Lucknow with the teacher and, and feel all you know, f- 
free and awake and they'd go home and they'd get confused and lost and they'd come back and, this, and so the mantra was, I had it and I lost it. And he'd say, what is there to lose? There was nothing to gain. It's already who you are. Your nature is free already. Awareness is already awake and liberated. Only the concept that you're bound that you're, is, is what causes you to suffer. Only the concept of you as a separate self it causes you to suffer. So that a, this is a different kind of perspective. This is, this is, this is the sudden path. That awakening, awakeness is your nature. Right? And it is. Right? If you feel into the quality of awareness, awareness is already awake. It's already free. It's unobstructed. That is your nature. But that's not what we, where we hang out. We hang out in our ego identity, which feels small and separate and deficient and comparing and lost in judging and all of our wants and needs and desires. Right? And so we, we, it's like we're living in the palace, but we're hanging out you know, in the basement. Yeah? We're not... We're not actually sitting on the throne, as it were, of our own nature. So these teachings are a reminder to re-inhabit what's true. And you'll maybe have moments of that in this retreat, where you're sitting, walking, standing, whatever, looking at the beautiful green hills, and and there's a sense of complete simplicity as um, T.S. Eliot says, costing nothing less than everything. Complete simplicity, stillness, openness, oneness, peace, connection, clarity. And we touch into something both very simple and very ordinary and very profound at the same time. And we've all probably had moments like this. For me, they're mostly in nature. You know, in, in beautiful places or really wild places, or contact with some being, some a deer or a whale, or that some, something is evoking a different kind of presence. And there's just a sense of complete presence and peace in that moment. And there, those, those moments, and they can happen in meditation, they can happen anywhere, are a. Are a are a key, are a reference point, a doorway. Right? And of course, like every experience, they come and go, but what they're pointing to doesn't necessarily come and go. So I'm going to share with you one of the practices that Punjaji used to uh, give a lot. So um, I'm going to say a f- sentence and then each time I say the sentence, I'm going to take off a word. And as I say the sentence, I want you to say it silently to yourself. Right? So maybe close your eyes while we do this. So the phrase is, I am a meditator sitting here. So just say that to yourself a couple of times. I am a meditator 
sitting here. I am a meditator sitting. I am a meditator sitting. I am a meditator. I am a I am sense into that quality I am I feeling into I-ness Now take away the eye. So what's left? Awareness without identity. Anybody else? Emptiness. Being. Space. Energy. Not knowing. Not self. So very simple, very immediate, accessible, not always. This is uh, from Lala, who is a wonderful uh, woman, Indian mystic. Awareness cleaned my mind to a polished mirroring The presence came near, and I knew that I was everything. Let me read that again. Awareness cleaned my mind to a polishing mirroring, to a polished mirroring. The presence came near, and I knew that that was everything, and I nothing. So when I understood that it's it's already here, as Rumi says, that which we're looking for is the one doing the looking. Probably a little more poetically than that, but you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, It was really disorienting. It was both exciting and, and riveting and illuminating and disorienting, like... What? Like, it's already here, but I've been doing all this practice, and I'm going to do... But there's all this... It's already right here.
there's a poem, another poem that I love um, that speaks to this this way that we that we misperceive, we miss we're misguided in our looking. Right? So if, you know, in our ordinary egoic stance, you know, we're looking for pleasure and avoiding pain. That's basic, you know, organismic orientation. Natural, not a problem in itself unless we get fixated. So this poem by Han Shan, which I've always cherished, a Chan poet, who says, if you look for the truth outside of yourself, it gets further and further away. If you look for the truth outside of yourself, it gets further and further away. Today, walking alone, I meet the truth everywhere I step. If you see it, if you see things in this way, you will discover the way things are. But the first line is really the, is the punchline. If you look for the truth outside of yourself, it gets further and further away. Right? So we seek it in all kinds of things. We seek truth and happiness in, you know, this is going to do it. This experience, this person, this teacher, this retreat, this lover, this book, this whatever, promotion, this something is going to do it. And we're usually looking in the wrong place. Which is why, you know, we're turning back the attention to to understand what is this here? What is this thing called awareness? So this is a quote from Ajahn Chah who is talking about how we get lost in the stuff of our life and our mind, and, and, and so we misperceive. He says, about this mind, in truth, there is nothing really wrong with it. It's intrinsically pure, kind of like what the Buddha was saying. Within itself, it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful these days is because it follows moods. The real mind doesn't have anything to it. It's simply an aspect of nature. However, our ordinary mind becomes peaceful or agitated because moods deceive it. The untrained mind is unwise. He says stupid, but that's a little judgmental. Um, but that just that's the translator because he doesn't speak English. It's Thai. So. Sense impressions come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness, sorrow. But the mind's true nature is none of these things. Right? Awareness is untouched by these things. Glad, the gladness or sadness is not the mind, but only a mood coming to deceive us. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. Then we think that it is we who are upset or at ease or whatever. But really, this mind of ours, this true nature, is already unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful. Just like a leaf which is still as long as no wind blows. If a wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the wind. The fluttering is due to these sense impressions that the mind follows. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. If we know fully the nature, true nature of sense impressions, we'll be unmoved. 
Our practice is to simply see and rest in this original mind, what I'm referring to as awareness. So we must train the mind to know these sense impressions, not to get lost in them, to make it peaceful. Just this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So there's a lot of different words in different traditions for this quality of presence, awareness, original mind, true nature, Buddha nature, lucid awareness. It doesn't really matter what you call it. But we'll, we'll do some practices that help abide and recognize and stabilize in that quality. Just like we did little tastes here. The point of that. And some of you may be thinking, well, so what? Who cares? Like, I'm freaking suffering and shut up already and help me deal with my difficult partner and my body sucks and I hate life and I hate my boss and, you know, screw you, awareness. Like, what's that got to do with anything? Sometimes how we feel, right? Like, you know, just... You know, just give me the pill. Like, just, you know, help me deal with life. And as I said, you know, awareness from this perspective is the agent of change. It's the agent of transformation. It's what allows us to navigate the difficult stuff. So when we get caught, which you will innumerable times on this retreat. Maybe as much as you would in your normal life, but you're just noticing it more. <laughs> the times you get reactive and resistant and grumpy and all that. We're going to learn how to abide in this quality of presence, awareness, that has the capacity, the space, to be unbound, uncaught. Even in the midst of whatever is tormenting you, we have the capacity to know, to be aware of, to hold it in presence. So I've got a lot more to say, but I think I'm just going to leave all that for later. How are you doing? It's been a long day. (laughs) It's been a long day. So I'll I'll pick this theme up tomorrow. But um, so there's a this lovely quote that I share a lot from Viktor Frankl, which I think is a lovely summary of Dharma teaching, where he says. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our power and freedom to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and happiness. Between stimulus and response, between the muck of our lives, between our knees aching, which mine are right now, for our mind, you know, going on its war path, from our stresses in our home life. we have the capacity, mindfulness, 
awareness gives us the capacity to find space, to hold it with spaciousness. So we're bigger than that, so we can feel and know and experience all of that difficult stuff, but not be caught in it. And I, you know, we all get this experience a lot, you know. So an example for me is, and I've shared this story at times, where I was experiencing a very strong bout of anxiety that lasted for you know, months, not that long ago, a few years ago. And, um, you know, like every good person, I wanted to get rid of it, you know, take whatever it would take to get rid of it, meditate it away, do anything not to feel it, because who wants to feel anxious, right? Feeling anxious sucks. And, you know, it went on so long, I was like, okay, I have to keep surrendering, keep surrendering, and, and, hold, and, and trusting in the awareness that could hold the anxiety, which it always can. You know, at times we get, you know, kind of constricted and pulled into it, and then we can refine that quality of awareness and mindfulness of presence that can hold the anxiety. Right? So we can find freedom even when it's that that state is revving. That's the liberating power of awareness that we can bring to any experience, whether it's your knee pain, your heartache, your losses, the stresses in your life. Awareness can hold it all. That's what we're taking refuge in. Okay, so let's sit for a few moments. And as you sit, no matter what state you're in, no matter how tired, how restless, how bored, how whatever, notice that which is knowing. Be the knowing, not the conditions that are known. Rest and abide in awareness. Awareness is the nature of your mind that can know every experience. Sounds, smells, sights, thoughts, feelings, sensations. to recognize the nature of our mind. May we learn to abide in awareness.
So thank you for your presence and your practice today. So we'll have a short period of walking and we'll have a short sit at nine o'clock tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.